0: lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me.
1: Good to be speaking with you. Thank you for joining us. If you're in North Hove at Oasis, South Hove at the Villas in Shoreham uh, or in the centre of Brighton or watching online, uh, my name's Joel if you're new to Emmanuel. The first thing I notice about this part of Philippians is the, the apparent change of tone. Uh, up till now in chapter 2, the writer, the Apostle Paul, has been describing in a very grand and inspiring, uh, glorious way, the the way that God has revealed himself through his son as so surprising and unexpectedly, the servant, the, the, the one who humbles himself, who comes amongst us as one of us, and serves, becomes a slave, even to the point of crucifixion, and how Jesus, God's Son, has been raised up by the Father to, to sit at his right hand. It's a story that Paul describes in, in poetic uh, and kind of awe inspiring language. It's a staggering description of the true majesty of the real God, not the God of our invention, but the God that only God, the story that only God could have, could have uh, told. It's not one that we would make up. It's, it's, it's a, one of the mountain peaks of scripture and it stands out uh, a mile. And yet within a few verses, here we are looking at travel arrangements. We're looking at the apparently mundane world of, I want Epaphroditus to come to you. I'm hoping that Timothy can come to you. And Paul is beginning to sort out, you know, it's like he's suddenly turned into a a tour guide or a a tour arranger. And it seems a jarring key change until we look more carefully at what's going on and see that actually what, what Paul's doing here is completely in keeping with his project throughout this letter. Paul is wanting actually quite consistently with what he's been saying about Jesus to really say it again but here he's saying it through the lives of the the household names that his readers would have known Timothy, Epaphroditus, these people over in Macedonia in Philippi would never have met Jesus in the flesh but they would have seen Jesus in In the preaching of the Apostle Paul and they were getting to know Jesus through the way he describes these these fellow workers Timothy and Epaphroditus and even Paul himself are bringing, demonstrating, displaying the goodness and glory of God through Christ through their story, through their lives and and what we're seeing is, is men with a gutsy Heartfelt concern shown in self-sacrificial, risk-taking, humble love for other people. That's, that's Christ on display through uh, these people. Paul's saying, look, look at it in the story of Jesus through his life and death and resurrection. Now look at it through my brother Epaphroditus, my, my spiritual son Timothy. Look at it through these people too. God will always want to display his ways to the world through ordinary people. That's what the church is. The church gets to be this magnificent spectacle, this showcase of the real nature of the real God. That's our extraordinary privilege that we get to demonstrate something of God. And, and, and so this is where Paul is kind of almost raising the Philippians game he's saying now look at Timothy look at Epaphroditus this is maturity on display this is Christ likeness I've shown you Christ let me show you the Christ like in these brothers now at first we have to admit there's a there is a slightly jarring tone in verse 20 where, where he says I don't have anyone like Timothy I I'm often struck by this verse, I find it quite a strange and surprising verse I've thought about it a lot this last couple of weeks and wondered how how do we land this how do we understand the way he says this I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they, they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ seems a fairly savage indictment Paul's making an assessment it seems about presumably all of his other leaders, all of the other people with whom he's worked. The people that I work with, yeah, they're doing okay, but Timothy's the only one that's not selfish. Really? Is that, is that really what Paul's saying? And you know, the commentators don't quite know what to do with this verse. It's a difficult thing. Is, is he just exaggerating? Is it one of those hyperboles where, where writers in the Bible make a point strongly to... How do we grasp this... In the end, I don't think we can completely remove the painful reality that Paul is saying that many of the people, even people that are serving alongside him, have quite a distance to go as they pursue Christ-like maturity. That, that's gotta be included in the way we interpret that verse. We can't get around it, it would seem to me. That there is a sense, which many of the people he's working with, it's like, yeah, I, I can't pretend that they're all as mature as Timothy. They're not, they're not at the stage Timothy's at. And that may seem a little uncomfortable. It's, 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 it makes us uh, perhaps a little concerned for, for the, the general atmosphere of encouragement and affirmation that you'd expect would exist in Paul and amongst the leaders that he works with. But remember, if, you, if you've uh, heard the stories before, of Jesus with his disciples, with his co-workers, if you like, and he wasn't scared of, of making occasional evaluative statements. Jesus himself, when he spoke to the 12, he would, he would not always hold back from what can seem pretty brutal comments. Oh, oh you have little faith, he would say to them. Why did you doubt? Why, why are you afraid? Those are recurring comments phrases of Jesus talking to the closest disciples he had in at least one place he he speaks out of an almost apparent exasperation how long do I have to be with you Jesus says now we know that Jesus didn't lose his rag that wasn't him showing his evil side he didn't have an evil side this is heaven speaking all right this is the, the God of heaven giving an objective statement he's saying it is painful it is hard to be amongst men who simply don't trust the father the way that the way that they should you 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 brothers i love you i'm committed to you i i am so for you and i love you more than you could even begin to dream but you've got a way to go you you i want you to understand that that your trust in the Father is so small that you still, you're still protecting yourselves. You're still ultimately caring more for yourselves than for those around you. Paul is saying about Timothy something quite striking here. He's saying he genuinely has grown to the point where his concern for others begins to shine. He has lost some of that selfish preservation that is marking the other leaders in my group it would seem. So we've got to think about this. How does that affect us? How does that affect you? First of all, let me encourage you. It should actually, if you think about it, deeply encourage you. It's, It's good news on one level, at least. I find this kind of refreshing and releasing and relieving because what it tells me is that Jesus has always chosen people who are not there yet. He chooses and recruits Alongside him, people like you and me—the people who follow Jesus—are the people who are raw. The people who he, cho- he he chooses us knowingly. He's not surprised. He factors in our weaknesses, our foolishness. He's not shaken and taken aback by some kind of expression of selfishness or immaturity. And no, Jesus saw it coming. And you can be relieved by that. You can be encouraged by that. His commitment to those disciples that we spoke of, he didn't wane, it didn't, he didn't cut back, he didn't leave off, he didn't, he didn't get disillusioned and choose 12 others. He's, he's chosen the ones he wants and he sticks with them. And Brothers and sisters, that is a good word for us. How encouraging to know that he's not surprised by our weakness, we're not disqualified by our weaknesses. We're not. He's willing to work with the raw material that we are, that you and I are. With all of our selfishness, with all of our unbelief and fear and scepticism and panic, he's doing the journey with us. He sticks with us. That's an encouragement. But it's, it's not an invitation to complacency because there's no, there's no occasion for drifting. Jesus still trains his disciples. He still is determined to bring them through. He will, he will, he will see to it. He will fight for them. He will pray for them <laughs> and he will speak to them and he will find them when he has to. He will get to them and encourage them and get them over their hurdles and heartbreaks because of his utter gracious commitment. But it will mean that there'll be seasons where he stretches and strains, where we have to grow. And I want us to look from this passage at some of the, some of the ways in which that has to happen. How does he grow us? How do we see the Timothys and the and the Pauls? What, what are some of the features of their maturity that we can, we can be encouraged by? How, how do we get there on our journey? And I want to just pull out quickly three key uh, observations. The first is that it, it must be actual heart change. We're not looking here for, for outward behavioural change. We're looking for a change of heart that takes place in the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, and you may have only done this recently, you may have done it today, you may be here for the first time and you're you're starting to trust Jesus. I tell you, you are on a journey of heart change, inward change, the most profound kind of change, not just external, not a makeover, not just behavioral change not even just building good habits and good disciplines into your life, good though that is. No, 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 that in itself is not what discipleship means. Jesus is determined to work inwardly at this profound level. So when he speaks about Timothy, he says, I've got no one like Timothy who takes a genuine concern in your welfare. And, and then he speaks about himself, the way he feels about Uh, the Philippians. is fascinating in verse 28 where he says, I am the more eager to send Epaphroditus, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. I find that fascinating. It's another insight. Just as Timothy's concerns are not for himself, but for others, for the church in Philippi, Paul also, he says, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be anxious. Now, if I was in a dungeon on death row, like the Apostle Paul, I would say, I don't want to be anxious, so please can you spring me out? Oh, you- can you at least send me some DVDs? Or just, 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 I don't want to be anxious, so help me, help me, I'm needy, help me in my need, then I won't be anxious. That would be the kind of letter that, if this was Joel Virgo's letter to the Philippians, it would read like that. Paul says, I don't want to be anxious, so I'm sending you Epaphroditus. The very man you sent to minister to me in my need and bringing you know, a bag of goodies or whatever it was that Epaphroditus was doing for him, you know, giving him a foot rub or whatever, everything that Epaphroditus has been doing, Paul's like, guys, I'm anxious for you. You need Epaphroditus, you're worrying about him. His health has been bad. Let me send him to you, then my anxiety will go. Paul's heart has been so worked on by the Holy God that his anxieties, his emotions, his affections are in a process of transition, he's, he's, his desires, his anxieties are shifted in the interests of other people. This is the, the course of correction that Jesus has us on. I shouldn't say the course of correction, that's a, it's a course of happy change. <laughs> that's the journey, as we change, as he works on us and brings us from one degree of glory to another, it's a heart change and nothing less. Which is why I say that just external changing of habits, change do, you know, by all means, we must, take those aspects seriously but friends the root work that we need in our lives is heart transformation so that our appetites are changed sometimes changing just our habits trying desperately to love people more like a, you know like a boy scout trying to get his badges you know i've got my swimming i've got my Swimming in my pajamas badge or getting a brick from a bottom of the sea. I thought I, Apparently, people used to do that when they were kids. You know, the various, you've know, got all these badges. You know, I've got my, my, my helping old lady across the road badge. Timothy is not a Boy Scout cooking up badges, all right? He's not trying to do works of happy kindness, you know, out of sheer malevolence for people, which is what, what it can turn into when you're trying to prove that you've reached a certain level of maturity. People see it coming. oh gosh, this guy just wants to demonstrate how nice he is when actually what you feel is not concerned for you, but actually they're concerned for themselves and how well they're scoring. Timothy's not seeing, he's he's not looking at his scorecard. He's concerned for the Philippians, just as Paul is concerned for them. Epaphroditus is concerned for others. This is what Jesus wants to work into us, a genuine concern for his people, a genuine love and deep concern, even an anxiety on the behalf of others. Where do we get that from? We don't get it from just pulling ourselves together. We get it from Jesus. And the good news is (laughs) that this is something God does do and God has done, Even, even for those who look at the enormity of God's self-sacrificial love on their behalf and think, I I am staggered at how gracious God is. How can I ever be anything like that? The wonder is that this very book encourages us with the the truth that we've received, we we share in it. Paul says in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this, have this mind amongst you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's a peculiar sentence. You know, it doesn't really make sense. Have this thing that you have. It's yours. Have it. Possess this thing you possess. Take advantage of this advantage you have. But that's the very logic of this, this new covenant we're in. It's, that's the very logic of what it means to be a Christian. It means, as he says in verses uh, uh, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work. I thought I was doing the work. No, God's doing it. I thought God was doing the work. No, you're doing the work. But it can only be one of us. Apparently not. Apparently not. No, we work with him. He is at work. He has done a work in you. The transformation that God has done in bringing you into union with his son means that there's hope for you. What you are most fundamentally, if you follow Jesus, if you trust Jesus, is a new person, born again, with a new heart, new desires. And just like it is with a newborn, it takes a few years before these things start to display. It does. A new Christian, you might feel for years, I don't know if I'm ever going to be like Timothy. Yeah, no, there's a process. You know, I've got kids, it takes them a few years. You, you delight in your children, you're th- thrilled with them. They don't have to do anything to make you happy. You don't have to make, do anything to make God happy with you. He's delighted with you if you're his child, but there are years of process, and it takes years. You know, I've found with all my kids, it's, <laughs> it's a few years before they start, you know, bringing in some bread. You know, I had to wait for at least four years before I could send them up any chimneys. It took a little while, uh, but uh, they get to the point where they start to actually... Take adult decisions and move forward in maturity. And it's fascinating to watch it happen with with, with children. And it's the same principle. We're on a journey. God has put within you, as a Christian, new Christian or old Christian, a principle of life. You are already a possessor of the mind of Christ. And what you most fundamentally are is being expressed as you grow in maturity. Let me just move on quick because I want to cover these other bases before we finish. This is a, a story of heart change, but it's more as well, this is about, well, go with me, look at the tone of, of, frankly, of pain here. This is another main, major piece of what we see in this passage. Jesus is involved in bringing heart change to our lives, but one of the means by which he does it over time is through the rigours of suffering and pain. I wish I was a way round that, I wish there was a way that I didn't have to preach that because I know it doesn't really fly, it doesn't really preach, when I preach this people don't smile and say amen but it's scripture, it's plain and we all know, most of us I guess aren't really into what gets called prosperity theology where you kind of believe as soon as you you believe in Jesus you will be rich and healthy and everything will go well we see that coming, you know most of us we're not that impressed with that kind of teaching but in subtle ways I think we're still quite, there's a kind of proneness to, to imagining that real progress in our relationship, we've got in our maturing, will come in a context of pure comfort. But I look at these descriptions of these brothers and I see Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus slaving together. Look at what Paul says in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me. The real word is slaved with me. Epaphroditus, my fellow soldier. These, these words, this language is chosen carefully. These are hints, this tells us there's a rigorousness. There's, a, there's, a, there's an agony in growth. Again, as with children. You ask any teenager what it's like just growing into maturity. In reality the pain the sense of being on a steep learning curve that children and young adults will be going through is trying to grow trying to trying to become responsible trying to take life on and it's you get it wrong and you, you feel frustrated with yourself and with others and you, how am i going to grow and it's 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 Potentially easy for us to hit those seasons, those 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 pain barriers, those moments of discipleship, of following Jesus, where it just gets like a rocky, hard road, and a difficult, unyielding season of your life. And the, the, the immediate temptation is, is to assume, oh, I've taken a wrong thing. This this can't be right. You know, I I I I'm out. This is this is difficult now. Uh, this, the, and, and so we discern falsely, we misunderstand the season that God is deliberately, in fact, drawing us through. Well, the only way through a season is to make a decision which is painful. Where going forward means trusting God more. Going forward means being more generous. Going forward means making a decision that we know will hurt. Going forward means letting someone down who we're frightened of. Going forward means pulling out of a relationship that we've actually treasured. Going forward means forgiving somebody who's hurt us terribly. And there's no way, it's just, that's the only way forward. Oh gosh, no, no, there must be, a, there must be another way around. I can't do that. Going forward means going without something in our lives. Kicking a habit that we've t- treasured secretly. Going forward means admitting to a friend that we struggle with a certain sin. Going forward means bringing our marriage to the attention of friends in the church who can help us through this bad season. Go- going forward means telling my friends at work that I'm a Christian and not hiding it anymore. Going forward means any number of things that we'd sooner die than do. But we're learning... He did say to take up your cross, follow. He did say that, didn't he? And so there's just... a a taste of that in these descriptions. These men, they're soldiers. They're co-slaves with me. Paul's known a hard road and these are men who've joined him on it. They know something of the pain and this is necessary. It's part of our process. You know that the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Again, we don't, that's not a fridge magnet verse either, that's a Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. He learned obedience through suffering. Now, first of all, that's a bit confusing because how can God learn <laughs> to be good? Does that mean Jesus started off disobedient? You know, he crashed his dad's car and, and, you know, I'm really sorry, I'll learn to be, you know, no, no, no. It doesn't mean that, okay. What, God, the eternal son, became human, which meant that he had to learn the experience as a man, the human experience of coming under the authority of God the Father. Jesus did what Adam didn't. He learned. He came under the yoke of obedience. He trusted enough to obey through all of it and it was suffering to him. It was sometimes, sometimes sheer pleasure to obey God, to be sure. Most of the time, perhaps. Most of the time. Let's be clear. This sounds grim, what I'm saying. I'm only talking about a little slice of the Christian life. Okay? You hear that? I'm talking about... I'm just talking about the bubbles. The ocean is joy, as C.S. Lewis put it. The ocean is joy. It's just the little bits of bubbles on the surface of just pain. But if we pretend they're not there, if we ignore them, if we whitewash them out of the picture, it's to our own peril because when we hit them, we will be shocked and we'll turn back in unbelief. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Obedience will sometimes mean, ah, oh, I'd sooner not do that. That's a tough call. Paul's taken that on the chin. He's moved on so as his son Timothy and his brother Epaphroditus. And he's putting it before us. He's saying, guys, there's no way around this. There's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name, as we sometimes sing. So discern the season God's put you in at the moment. Do you see? Do you understand what what God's doing in your life at the moment? Do you understand some of the pain you're going through as God's wisdom, God's way of training, weaning, maturing, loving you too much to let you stay a toddler, growing you because he's a good father. And it means you've got to trust him. And like Timothy say, "I, I, I trust him so much now that I actually care more about other people's concerns than mine. Because when it comes to my concerns, I keep finding he's got me covered. (laughs) He's got my back. I keep discovering he meets my needs. He provides. He heals. He helps. He he brings resolve. He brings peace. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I'm all right. God's got me. Now, how can I help you? He sent me to help you. How can I help you how can I prefer your needs over my own you can't say that just because you're a boy scout you say it because you've met the God who's meeting your needs and you trust him it all comes back to trust do you believe Jesus that's it if you do you'll be obedient the obedience that comes from faith Let's go on to the last piece of this and I, I love this, this is, this is so wonderful. So we talked about heart change and we talked about pain, but let's talk finally about emulation, all right, emulation. and I, I find this so striking because it's not in our culture, it's not the air we breathe in 21st century Brighton and Hove and Shoreham we are so sure of our own originality. We are such non-conformists. We're so committed to, <laughs> no, you can't, I don't emulate anyone. I'm not copying anyone, I'm, I'm my own. And that's, that's the way we tend to imagine that we will thrive by, by being, being a, a unique creator. A kind of, non-conformity is, is the air we breathe. Even locally, that would be Brighton's kind of reputation, wouldn't it, I guess. But look at the atmosphere of the New Testament. Look at even this passage. Look at, let's just first of all, look at verse 17 of chapter 3. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just pinch that verse first before we come back. Brothers, join in imitating me. Who says that? Who says that? Imitate me. <laughs> what an incredibly tenacious thing to say. Uh, audacious thing, I should mean. Big words, show off words. Brothers, join in me. In imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Look, don't take your eyes off the people who help you see Jesus. There will be those people in your life, like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, you see them, you see something of Jesus and Paul says keep your eyes on them, do not drop your eyes from them, watch, imitate you will learn from imitation. Again, we, we we're not like this culturally. We, we, we no, it's just me and my Bible, me and Jesus. Don't you dare tell me how to live. Ah, uh-uh, Not New Testament. New Testament is a lot more. Let's work on it, learn together. Let's watch each other. So you see in verse 29, the way he talks about Epaphroditus in this very passage, he says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor such men. What does Paul mean by honor such men? I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean give him a standing ovation when he comes back to Philippi. It doesn't mean give him a, you know, a, a, a gong or a gold watch or, or, or a whoop when he comes on a platform. You know, just some, you know, let's honour Epaphroditus. let's, let's honour Epaphroditus. And then just carry on living. Different. No, that's not what he means. <laughs> He's saying, who, do you, who are you inspired by? Who do you look up to? Who do you copy? Simple as that. If, if I can tell you who you emulate, all right? Well, oh, sorry, I can tell you who you honour. And I just gave it away. It's who you emulate. Who do you honour? Who do you really honour? It's the people that you copy. Sometimes you copy without even noticing, don't you? you do it subconsciously. You find it, people say, why do you do that? You say, because oh, my mum my used to do it. My, my mate at school, who I always look. Just, There's just ways that people have. Ways of talking, ways of, of eating, <laughs> ways, of, ways of doing everything. You just Ways of dressing, ways of responding, ways of deciding, ways of thinking, ways of feeling, ways of living. You've picked up, you know, they call it socialization. The Bible just calls it image of God. We're made in a, the image of a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I just love this. It's just so beautiful to me. It's just the way that Paul talks about Timothy. And it's, it's, it's just it's just magnificent. In verse 22 he says, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served, slaved, with me in the gospel. As a son with a father. You know Timothy. He's, he's, he's been with me. He's... He's worked with me. He's slaved with me in the gospel. He's watched me. He's learned from me. He's my son. He's like an apprentice. It actually gets to me. I I think of there's there's a place in the Old Testament which we don't quote often. It's kind of mysterious. It's in the book of Proverbs where we get this tiny, it's like the veil comes off a bit. We get to see Jesus with the Father. We get to see a glimpse of what it's like. Just for a moment, we see what God is like as Father and Son at the point of world creation, as the world was being made. It says this, Jesus speaking, he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, get the idea. It's like Paul and Timothy in the workshop. It's like working together, like like a son and a father. Look, look at what look at what we're doing together, son. We're in, is it, What a joy to share in the delights, the things that the father enthuses about. Some of you have had this relationship, maybe with your parents. Maybe you had a father or a mother, and you you shared life with them. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. The privilege of feeling that you're. It's, it's like they've inherited so much of who you are. Like there's, some, there's an easy comparison to be drawn. They, they reflect you. They reflect you. God is like that. The Son, the Father. Jesus talked this way. He, he, he's explicit about it. In John chapter 5 he says, the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. <laughs> I, I, all I want to do is what he's doing. I, say, well, I, just, I just, whatever he's doing, I'll do it. I'll do what he's doing. Because I love what he does. And he loves what I do. And it's just so much fun. The, the, the shit that I, I emulate. I want to. This is, we're made in the image of this God. And you will emulate. You can't avoid it. Even Brightonian as you are, you will conform to something, even if it's to non conformists. OK? Do that. Be a non conformist. You and all the other people living in the BN1 area. It's, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a bizarre idea to imagine we can't conform it's like running from your shadow you will conform, the question is, to whom? Who do you honour? Who do you emulate? Who are the people that you say, I need to be around her I need to be around him because they show me Jesus You can't just do it in a closet with your Bible much as I love you to read your Bible in your closet you know, just whatever you need to be connected you need to watch and like Timothy he's been watching Paul he's been learning for years even though I love the way Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 he says I'm sending you Timothy you know Paul sends him to Philippi sends him to Corinth at one point he says why he says because he will remind you of my ways in Christ Timothy you get to know Timothy you'll get to know me and you'll get to know Christ because Timothy's just just like me this is the atmosphere of the scriptures, we learn from one another. Not because any one of us is perfect, only Jesus is perfect, but as we pursue Jesus, we set example and others can draw in. And you think, how do I do that? Timothy's been watching, that doesn't mean he's been going to Paul's church. Anyone can, that's not enough. I say that because many of you, you, you that's, that's what you do, you come on a Sunday, but I tell you, you won't grow, to... the Timothy thing won't happen I'm afraid. It's partly only possible through the emulation, through the getting in close. You say, well, I, I, I'd love to get close. You people on the platform, that's what I... No, 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 I'm not talking about platforms, I'm not talking about profile, I'm not talking about this, ugh, yucky, vomity, Christian kind of celebrity culture. It's not, that is not, that's anti-biblical. I'm talking about the people in your life that remind you of Jesus. Some of them are sitting next to you. Some of them are in this church, people who you can connect with. They're in small groups. And you need them in your life. You need to be close and you need to watch and listen and learn and receive the gift that God has for you. If God gives you people who, who are whatever age and stage of role in life they have, there are people who God will give you if you respond with gratitude to them. And as you do that, you'll find the growth that God wants to bring to you. Let me just close by saying this. You see it, all, all, all the time, wherever you look in Scripture, you see the story being told, don't you? Of, of this God and what he's like. What a wonder to see Paul saying, this this son of mine, this this beloved son, I so like him, I'm so pleased with him, he's such a, I don't know anyone like him. And it would be nice for me to keep him here. But I'm going to give him to you. Because... I care about you I want you to have my son (laughs) I send him to you at great cost but gladly gladly I send you my son the Bible just tells the story everywhere doesn't it this is our God at great cost at a cost we can't begin to understand he saw us in our need he saw us in our desperation saw us in our horror our sin our guilt our shame, all our undeserving ugliness. And out of compassion, out of deep concern, he gave us his son. You you have him. I want to share him with you. (laughs) He'll remind you of me. You have him. And of course, we receive him. We also receive his father. We joined into a family that God receives us into gladly. Let me urge you, as we come to the table, to take bread and wine, to receive Jesus again as God's gift to you. He is the only hope and with confidence in his goodness and graciousness in your life, you will be more equipped, more freed up to show compassion and care for the people that God's put into your life. May we all grow into that kind of maturity. Amen.